And we're live. Welcome back to our Listen Edition listeners. This is program lead for Learn with GMP, Cara Devins. And I am joined here today by Marta Martinez, Managing Director, Data, Measurement, and Analytics here at Google. She is joined by her longtime colleague and friend, Terry Kawaja, founder and CEO of Luma Partners. Today, Marta will be asking Terry some questions about the findings in Luma's latest report, The State of Digital Marketing 2023. Terry, Marta, take it away. Thank you, Kara, and welcome, Terry. Thank you for joining us today. Great to be with you, Marta. All right, so let's dig into this. Let's start with what, what would you say is the biggest or are the biggest takeaways from this year's state of the digital marketing report? Sure. Well, we're just back from Menlo Park, California, where we had a couple of hundred senior leaders in MarTech, mostly CEOs, where we gathered to talk about the sort of issues of the day, the most uh, prevalent issues in the marketing uh, technology ecosystem. And if I were to summarize what the biggest takeaway was from, from this year that we put in our report would be the word uncertainty. It, it pervades the industry across a variety of fronts, whether it's macro uncertainties or industry certainties, and in particular, signal deprecation that's coming up in 2024. And then, of course, the brand new, you know, under one year phenomenon known as artificial intelligence. And the, you know, there's good and bad about changes, but in this instance, I think it's it's causing largely a bunch of hesitation, a paralysis, if you will, on the part of industry participants, whether that's spend or initiatives or investments or MA deals. And and the reason being, if you think of them one at a time, you've got the macro uncertainties. And here, this is a manifestation of, it feels like feelings over facts. And I say feelings over facts because the actual facts about the economy are quite strong. We've got strong, almost 5% GDP growth, record employment, interest rates appear to have peaked and will be starting to come down. Inflation uh, has been reduced. But, so those are great set of facts that in a normal environment would lead to sort of bullish outcomes. But there is a pervading fear, fear of a recession, concerns over wars in the Ukraine and Israel are, are affecting you know people's uh, feelings. And so that is causing that, that hesitation. On the industry side, you've got signal loss from cookie deprecation and growing privacy restrictions that invariably is going to cause a material change in the ad tech ecosystem. And yet, there is still no clarity in terms of what the other side looks like. It'd be one thing if we were headed towards major change and we knew exactly what the other, what the post environment would look like. It's like ripping a bandaid off. But this unknown has put us kind of in a, in a state of limbo, if you will, right? Because you've got obviously companies that had previously utilized third party, you know, data to target audiences and the future of those, whether that be you know, contextual or cohort or attention or even not audience targeting uh, all sound promising, but we simply don't know how well they will scale in a post-cookie environment. Same as, same as for all the companies that are basically building first-party audience solutions, you know, consented privacy compliant solutions and, and using clean rooms and other 
methods of extrapolation to try and bring that to larger audiences. We just simply don't know yet to the very reason that advertisers currently have cookies available. And so they're going to use them uh, in Chrome as opposed to, you know, going to full throttle at these, uh, at these new post cookie solutions. They're testing. They're definitely interested. It's the talk of every conference. Uh, but in terms of full-scale testing, we're, we're yet to, to see it uh, unfold and obviously won't until second half of 2024. Yeah, that's a lot. And certainly, lots of uncertainty in the air. Seems clear to me that change is the only constant. And I, I really like this, this concept that you brought of feelings over facts because it's creating this wait-and-see um paralysis in a way that has it all waiting a little bit. But isn't it unbelievable that at this time last year, ChatGPT had not yet rolled out? Are you surprised at how rapidly Gen AI took up the past year, at least took up up the conversation in the industry? Yeah, listen, I I think everyone who's being honest would have to admit to being surprised by the take up of generative uh, AI. It's, you know, it's, you've seen, you've heard the stats, right? That it's the fastest growing consumer technology adoption in history, two months to get to a hundred million users. And yet, you know, look, I think there's a lot that that's created a lot of hype. I mean, AI, as Google knows well, has been around for, for years in, in various forms. It's this newest version of generative AI that's really caught the consumer by, by storm. And uh, I would say the, uh, the industry as well. A tremendous amount of uh, hype, uh, a tremendous amount of new company formation. By one count, there are over 15 private company unicorns that were created just in the third quarter of this year. So it's translated into, you know, venture capital financing, exorbitant, you know, valuations as people are trying to roll out these capabilities, not just on the you know, sort of flash in the pan consumer use cases like ChatGPT and Dali, but actually taking generative AI and applying them to B2B applications. Yeah. You also mentioned some major business model changes in are underway as one of the trends. Could you talk a little bit about what you are seeing in the proliferation of new commerce channels such as mobile, conversational, social? live shop shopping. What is your prediction on these channels for 2024? Yeah. Uh, when, when we mentioned about business model changes, you know, the world changed in 2022, right? And it seemed like businesses were reprioritizing efficiency. So trying to, you know, prior to that in a zero interest rate environment, it was all about growth. And starting in 2022 and rolling forward into 2023, it's been about balancing growth uh, with with profitability, and you know, for the for the large companies, they obviously had a lot of room to work with. They had large employment roles and and were hiring a tremendous amount of uh, people in the post pandemic you know time frame. All they had to do was slow hiring or even do some rifts. Or in the case, let's say, of Meta, started to defund their enormous multi billion dollar investment in the metaverse project, and all of a sudden you saw a material increase in their, in their EBITDA margins. Across almost every major tech company, you saw a substantial uptick in, in profitability. So that was, that was one uh, adjustment we saw. 
I think on the on the AI side, you know, here's a an interesting uh, uh, contradiction. You've got everyone in the market talking about how they're going to use AI. And uh, our observation is that the largest tech companies are actually not talking about it. They actually have implemented it. So whether you take in advertising, the example I frequently reference is Google's Pmax. It's mm-hmm. a performance uh, solution, which is using generative tools and algorithmic um, uh, uh, tools to, to drive advertiser performance. You've got in creative, you've got companies like Adobe that are integrating Firefly into their creative suite of software. So unlike uh, trying to disrupt their existing products in market, they're taking what Microsoft calls a co-pilot strategy where it's they're applying AI tools and generative AI tools to assist uh, with each of the existing components of their uh, of their software suite. And then finally, the, the big tech companies are making, you know, scaled uh, investments in in AI companies uh, like OpenAI uh, and Anthropic uh, that have received uh, huge funding uh, because I think everyone's at this point trying to sort of hedge their bets. Yeah, yeah, you are. It's interesting because that Google we've been talking about being an AI first company since 2016, but it hasn't been until this year that it's become a consumer a consumer trend and it's certainly accelerating hype and investment and interest in the industry. So let's go for it. Um, Yeah. Well, if you you think about it, right, advertising technology is a sector made for artificial intelligence because artificial intelligence needs massive data sets. There is no larger uh, and real-time data set than advertising technology. It's more than finance. It's more than travel. It's, uh, it's, it's almost perfect. And you can, you can just imagine the use cases being, you know, pretty ubiquitous across, across data, media, workflow, creative, almost every aspect of advertising can, can reap the benefits of, uh, of AI. Yeah. And I would say with signal, data signal deprecation, I think we've been for a while thinking about the transition from precision marketing into this predictive marketing and that's all powered by machine learning and predictive AI. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. You know, we used to call it lookalike targeting, right? I mean, you would, you would take <laughs> a, a, you would take a, you know, a, a, a set of responses and results and then say, okay, who are people that look like this? And, and, you know, that requires a tremendous amount of computation to take that sort of probabilistic approach to determining to whom you you want to put your ad in front of in a manner that doesn't collect you know identifiable information well ai possesses the potential to be able to do that at enormous scale yeah at an enormous scale and a and much faster than we could ever imagine for sure exactly right so you also talk about a rising competition in a very different way that a, that I would imagine. You're talking about ad tech or martech coming together. You're talking about media cloud and data starting to come together like we haven't seen it yet before. Can you talk a little bit about this? Yeah, there was an observation that we made that we last year that we we referenced again. I mean, it used to be that the big tech companies were largely operating as monopsonies 
which is to say, you know, having strong positions in each of their each of their silos. But now it appears as though you know each one is crossing into the into the other. You know, Microsoft is is stepping up in advertising, which historically you know wasn't a, a strong suit for them. You know, Meta is using using AI. Apple is augmenting their advertising capabilities, and Amazon, largely you know its core business being e-commerce, now has a you know forty billion. Uh, rumors have it that it's much even larger than that. You know, media business. So your and 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 of course, each one of these companies operates a major uh, cloud infrastructure. So it just felt to us that increasingly these are like in, uh, overlapping Venn diagrams, and there will always be some form of sort of coopetition because many of these platforms will necessarily have to work w- with one another. But we are definitely seeing these companies becoming more competitive as time goes on. Yeah, it certainly feels like the worlds are all colliding. Um, you know, in my new role, Terry, I am working a lot uh, with advertisers and agencies to get them AI ready. And when we think about AI readiness, it all starts and ends with data. So I wanted to talk a little bit about data and the need for unification of data in order to drive omni-channel marketing. It, what needs to happen in the industry to get to this ideal state of omni-channel marketing? So I think there's conflicting viewpoint about the nature of, I guess the best way to describe it is data architecture. No one would deny that we ultimately need to be able to, you know, pull in data and do omni-channel marketing, you know, from the standpoint of unifying the uh, consumer experience and understanding how to you know, message and, and advertise to and essentially, you know, market consumers depending on where you, you find them. And, and while data unification is the ultimate goal and we've come a long way, I would say it still will remain this sort of beacon to try and make progress towards the question. You know, I don't think everyone ever fully uh, gets there. And, and, and the issue is, is that uh, our world, our marketing world continues to get more and more complex. Uh, with the proliferation of, you know, own channels, paid channels, and 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 earned channels, uh, increasingly, you know, whether you're connecting with your your customer or potential customer, you know, over email, they're also now, you know, texting, they're on social, they're visiting websites. So there is this need to uh, coalesce the information. And let's face it, every Martech vendor started usually specializing in one channel, right? You've got email companies, you've got website companies, you have text companies, you have CRM companies. And these are companies are trying to unify the data to work across channels. And some are even even sort of deepening their applications, going from infrastructure to decisioning and even, even, even execution. So you could sort of think of it as a, as a matrix. In my prediction for 2024 and beyond is that for companies to be able to coalesce into a unified system where they started off with expertise in one area and, and don't necessarily have expertise in another channel, it will necessarily require that they do some, some acquisitions. And I know a, a banker suggesting acquisitions is like a hammer describing everything as a nail, but, but it just sort of feels like if they want to unify, then that's going to be the fastest way uh, to get to market. 
Yeah, I can see that certainly lots of opportunity across the board to get to something we've been talking about for years and years in the industry. I know in your conference, you brought a new concept that I had not heard about. So I wanted to ask you, you talked about leaning into composability. Can you tell us what that means exactly? I love new words. <laughs> so, so this is almost the reason why I, I started my answer to your last question as suggesting it was an dichotomy about, about data um, architecture is that whilst we would all agree that we need to do omni-channel marketing, there is also a theme that's almost the uh, opposite of uh, the unification point uh, that I've made above, but it refers to marketers selecting disparate MarTech capabilities for best-of-breed tools rather than a comprehensive platform for everything. So companies, data infrastructure companies like Snowflake and Databricks have focused on the infrastructure layer, and they're building partner ecosystems to aggregate specific capabilities. The composability uh, I reference means sort of interoperability at its core. So in, in ad tech, for example, the Lumascape is surprised of largely composable solutions, right? DSPs work with SSPs and verification companies and measurement and ad servers because it's all due to APIs. What we're talking about in terms of composability is that same type of API-like integration only for MarTech, which historically wasn't built with the same data architecture as advertising technology. It'll be interesting to see who wins out when, whether these, you know, competing sort of perspectives on data architecture will, will, will sort out over time. Yeah, I think that's a lot, a lot of what we'll see movement to bring the best solution for every marketer this year. Certainly a ton of very interesting work for all of us to do there. I'd like to talk a little bit more about commerce and what what opportunities do you see in that area? We've all heard and worked a lot with any concept of retail media networks. How do you see these evolving during 2024? Sure. Well, first thing to note is that, you know, commerce is growing. E-commerce is growing. E-commerce is a percentage of commerce is growing. So the the you know the underlying industry that's that's driving a lot of that is is healthy and and growing clearly we made reference to this earlier but y- you want to be in front of your customers where they are interesting uh, newer channels are things uh, like you know messaging where uh, companies are utilizing that interface where the modality of the consumer is very much lean in to be able to. Uh, drives uh, commerce through through some of those channels, you know, which is a which is a departure or an addition to the more uh, typical sort of uh, desktop uh, approach. We're also seeing, you know, shoppable video. Uh, TikTok, for example, has a launched commerce tools and click to advertising, you know, tools where there's a buy now button that features products uh, across uh, their inventory, and we know that Meta. Um, and YouTube are exper- experimenting with solutions on that front. We'll see how far things like that go. It's a departure from uh, what I think consumers are used to. But, you know, if, if they can learn habits like short-form video, they can probably learn habits like shopping in, in short-form video. 
And yeah, you mentioned commerce media. That that is, you know, been a probably up there with uh, with CTV, one of the uh, strongest green shoot uh, areas for the advertising um, ecosystem. It's you know over fifty billion to spend, and all the analyst reports have it over doubling in the next few years. And so it's interesting to think of of this. It's it's of course the major retailers have all discovered this. However, it goes uh, well beyond just retail. So almost any company with a large consumer database, they tend to be businesses, you know, by the way, with with high volumes and low margins. And so they have all found in particular in a world where third-party signals are being deprecated and the primacy of first-party data rises that all of a sudden uh, they have a pretty fascinating opportunity ahead of them. They have first-party data because uh, they have the conversions and they're able to launch media businesses that not only utilize you know, the sort of same set of assets and convert to their core, uh, but they also tend to be you know, much higher uh, margin businesses. So we've seen this tremendous rise of, you mentioned you know, retail media, but again, it's across retail, financial, hospitality, delivery. There's lots of companies that are taking advantage of that opportunity. Think of that as sort of on-site. So it acts like a yeah. channel in terms of retail media. And by the way, it won't be, it'll be somewhat of a, a zero-sum game. So they're probably going to be, you know, usurping some market share of spend in other categories. Perhaps open web uh, could, could be the, the, the biggest source of, of that market share because now we're moving from a third-party world to a first-party world. But in addition to the on-site, on-prem retail media opportunity, you've got the commerce data layer. So it's, it's both a channel and a layer. And in this instance, you take that knowledge, uh, that conversion knowledge, that customer knowledge, that's first party on the retailer or, or other consumer companies, you know, website, and you can then uh, find uh, those people across other channels. So think of it as both a channel and it, so you've got search, social, mobile, open web, CTV, you can add retail media to that, but then you've got a horizontal application of commerce media data that can enable better utilizing that first-party data to enhance search, to enhance social, mobile, open web, and, and CTV. So it's both a channel and a layer. Yeah, and I think that what, as I hear you speak, it's clear that all of these first-party-driven solutions are allow for something beautiful for marketers, which is this, this close-loop measurement. Um, can you tell us a little bit how you see measurement evolving um, within the next few months, given all of the changes that we are undergoing? Yeah, I mean, me me measurement is probably set up for one of the biggest changes because okay. you will have, as you mentioned, closed loop first party data. So that's great. That's deterministic. And there's nothing better than, you know, in a consented environment, knowing exactly, you know, who, who clicked and who converted. But I think, we're, you know, any company's first party data relationships are only going to be a small fraction of their, of their overall uh, potential. Uh, so, you know, on the targeting side, we already described probabilistic models as being necessary. On the measurement side, 
we are unfortunately with signal loss going to lose some of that fidelity. And so I think you will see age old solutions like media mix modeling, you know, come, come back to the fore. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting to see this business evolve. When we talk about data, what we've been saying is it's all about data, but it's not any data. It's going to be high quality, consented, and first party. So all of this resonates for me very much. And Terry, in closing, what is your biggest piece of advice for companies kicking off their 2024 planning right now? So as we've been talking about, you know, the, one of the, we could recognize that the biggest challenges to hit the industry is in fact, signal deprecation. You know, the shift from third to first party data has a variety of implications. And as we've discussed, some of them are quite positive, but there's going to be a substantial amount of changes and the implications from media planning, buying measurement and attribution are going to be affected. The, the, the odd part, which is where we started this conversation is the limbo we tend to find ourselves in until such time as we can sort of see how it works in, in about a year from now. And while, as I mentioned, marketers and agencies have experimented with data collaboration approaches and non-ID based uh, solutions, they haven't yet stepped on the gas. Uh, and that's because, and that's, that sort of should have been predictable because from our GDPR experience, we know that this industry doesn't make a move until the 11th hour, until the, you know, uh, until they absolutely have to. And that means, you know, all eyes are going to be on the back half of 2024 to see how the ad businesses get affected. I, I would absolutely advocate that marketers prepare for that by, by testing and testing at volume these other solutions. I worry that that'll fall on deaf ears because, you know, I've just heard everyone say, well, provided I have this data, I'm going to utilize it for now and then make changes uh, when I have to. So my recommendation would be that every marketer platform and company lean in on, on that side of things on, on that's on signal deprecation on AI. It's very clear that it's already here. So it's not something for the future. And if you, I think every marker and every intermediary has to think about AI use cases and uh, get in, experiment, and implement so that uh, they don't get left behind because it feels like AI will be a, is a very powerful technology tool uh, that in the hands of those you know, willing to utilize it uh, will, uh, will drive results and you don't want to be left behind. Yeah, that sounds uh, really, really good to me. I think it is all about leaning into learning and experimentation it's been really interesting. Clearly, change is the only constant we have, and there's a lot, a lot coming. And from what I'm hearing, what you're telling us, Terry, is let's not let perfection be the enemy of progress and start moving sooner rather than later. Precisely. Um, yeah. So thank you very much. As always, it's always fun, interesting, and always learn a ton when we are together. And I appreciate it. Thank you. Great to chat with you, Marta. And thank you both, Marta and Terry, for such a great conversation. It'll be interesting and exciting to see how things play out in the upcoming 2024. So thank you to all our listeners today, and we will see you in the next episode. Bye.